Okay, so uh, at my house, I don't know about your house, but at my house, we kind of have like the amount of TV that we might watch like during the school year, and then we have like the amount of TV that we watch during the summer, and then we have the amount of TV that we watch during the Olympics. <laughs> I love the Olympics. One of my all-time favorite memories is that in 1996, I actually got to go to the Atlanta Games. And um, that was the year that the American gymnasts won the first team medal. And I was there in the stands when Carrie Strug did her infamous vault to one leg. And it was amazing. So I am like all in with the Olympics and I love all of the stories. And this Olympics in Rio, I was really taken I wasn't there, <laughs> I wish, uh, but by one of the stories of one of the athletes, um, David Bodia, and he is a diver. And last year, I guess four years ago in London, he won a gold and a bronze then, and now he was coming back to try to win more medals. And he was very vocal about his faith throughout the whole process. At the Olympic trials, he basically shared that his identity was in Christ and not in being an Olympian. But he was also really vulnerable and real about the pressures that he felt. And that he kind of had this like crazy freak out moment right before the Olympics this time. He was saying that he felt the pressure that he had a wife and a daughter that he was now supporting through his diving. That he felt the pressure of people want, expecting him to go out and win more medals. And this year, after he had won a silver medal in the primetime Olympic coverage, this is what he said. Yeah, I just think the past week there's been an enormous amount of pressure, and I've felt it. You know, it's just an identity crisis. When my mind is on this, thinking I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But we, talking about his diving partner, both know our identity is in Christ. So as we come to this book of Hebrews that we're going to dig into this semester, I would suggest that this book is for each of us in our feeling the pressure, going crazy in our own minds, freak out moments. It is for us when our faith is weak. It is for us when we are tired. It is for those moments when our life is hard, when we are sad. It is for when we need some perspective, when we need some hope. It is for those moments when all we need is Jesus. Okay, I'm going to pray one more time. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing each of us here this morning. You know our story. You know when our faith is strong and when it wavers. You have brought us to this book of Hebrews to strengthen our faith. Thank you that you see us that you know us, and that in all things Christ is with us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Okay, so I don't think Alexis Bowles is here, but if any of you know her, she is great with kids, and she, like, always has the right story and the right anecdote where your kids, like, just fully get it. And uh, a few years ago, we were talking about how to talk about beauty with our children, and she has three girls. And so she was sharing with me that she has this little thing that she does, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher to paraphrase, but basically what she does is like when they're getting ready in the morning, she'll say, you are so beautiful. And you know, when daddy and I see external beauty, we're so thankful to God and we say, yay. But internal beauty is so much more important. And did you know that when daddy and I see internal beauty, we go, yay. External beauty, yay. (laughs) Internal beauty, yay. So, of course, now I make a fool in front of the mirror with my daughters and sons to kind of help them to see external beauty, yay. Internal beauty that Christ can give us, yay. But I thought of that when I thought of this book because um, I think that this book would challenge us in the ways that we are looking at Christ and we are giving him, yay, yay for Jesus, day in and day out or on Sunday mornings. I have been so convicted of this as I've been studying this book that on Sunday morning I can come to church, yay, Jesus. This book, Hebrews, wants us to see Jesus in all his glory. This book wants us to see Jesus and have our hearts enter in to the full celebration that he deserves. This book wants us to not settle for the golf clap for Jesus. The outline of the book that you have in front of you, Terry Weiser gave that to me. And it's in just a quick glance, you can look and you can see that this book is all about Jesus. The theme of the book of Hebrews is the complete, absolute supremacy of Christ. And the purpose of the book is to strengthen our faith. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 2 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So faith, what this book, what God is trying to strengthen in us is confidence in God. And what God says is true about Jesus, about the world, about myself. And I think one way we could describe faith is rooting ourselves in God's version of the story. I'm going to believe his version of the story. I'm going to believe what he says is true. I'm going to live my life out of what he says I am and what I should do and how I should live. I'm going to believe, I'm going to have faith and confidence in God's version of my life. We don't know who wrote this book. So many books at the beginning, they'll have like a little section that tells us who wrote us, who wrote the book. This one doesn't. But we do know that for it to have been included in scripture, 
the earliest church fathers would have thought that it included original apostolic teaching. So it would have been either an apostle or a close associate of the apostle that they thought was then communicating his teaching. It is believed to have been written after Nero started persecuting Christians in AD 64, since we're going to read about persecution and imprisonment of Christians. And the book also will talk about Jewish sacrifices in a way that makes it sound like sacrifices are still going on. So that would place it before AD 70 when the temple would have been destroyed. And this is important because if we think of Jesus dying around AD 33, this is about 35 to 40 years after his death. So enough time has passed for these believers to have come to Christ, to have walked with God, to have grown in their relationship with him, to have gone through trials with great confidence for him. And then now, down the road in their faith, to be struggling. Now, all these years later, their faith is weak. The original original recipients were most likely Jewish Christians, and the author calls them Hebrews, which is interesting. One commentator calls Hebrews an ancient title. What the people of God would have been called starting back in the time of Abraham. So these Jewish Christians are are we're going to learn are considering returning to Judaism or adding Judaism back in on top of what they're already doing. And this book, from its title, wants to remind them of their true ancestry that even predated the establishment of Judaism. It's almost, I thought of it, it's like almost like calling you by your maiden name to like help you to remember your history or your past. He calls them Hebrews, not Jews or Israelites. And we don't know exactly where they were living. Some think Rome because at the end there's a greeting from Italy and other commentators thought that that greeting meant something else and that it wasn't from Rome. But we don't really know where they were. We do know that this book is an epistle and the author calls it in 1322 a word of exhortation. And it has the feel of a sermon that is in written form. So Lane says Hebrew is a sermon rooted in actual life. It is addressed to a local gathering of men and women who discovered that they could be penetrated by adverse circumstances over which they exercised no control. It is a sensitive pastoral response to the sagging faith of older and tired individuals who were in danger of relinquishing their Christian commitment. It seeks to strengthen them so that they may stand firm in their faith. I don't know about you, but I know that I can definitely at times relate to that. Overwhelming circumstances, tired, weak faith, sagging faith. I don't think most of them wanted to walk away from their faith altogether, but they are drifting slowly, but surely they are drifting like the hymn prone to wander 
Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Now, they weren't always weary and tired. In chapter 10, we're going to hear about their early days in the faith where they were confident and bold and on fire and having great ministry for the Lord. But now they are drifting. It made me think, oh, how well God knows his people. He knows us. I am sure there are certainly exceptions, but for most of us, over a lifetime, we will have these seasons of drifting. We'll have these seasons of weak and weary and sagging faith where God wants to get our attention, where he wants to remind us what is really true, where he wants to call us back to himself and call us back to Christ. That's what this book does. This book calls us to Christ. It reminds us of who he is and how we can't neglect him. It shows us of how we need to be cautious when we find ourselves just golf clapping for Jesus. Hebrews 12:28 reads, "Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. He wants more for us and from us than our golf clap. So Darwin, the pastor at Fourth Pres, made a fascinating observation about this book that the readers wanted to view returning to Judaism as neutral. They wanted to think that they could still be Christians and just also slide back into Judaism and kind of have their cake and eat it too. Um, But Darwin pointed out that once we have the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, then anything that rejects or challenges that is not neutral. Apathy is not neutral. Apathy, things that are not of God, are against God. Darwin shared uh, some of the verses that you have on your sheet with you that even talks about the Jews in this completely different way once they reject the Son. You can read those if you want uh, on your own time. But this is God's very own Son. So Darwin said, now we can better understand why the reader to Hebrews is so adamant that these Jewish Christians not abandon Christ for their former way. It would be a rejection and abandonment of God himself. So the author is going to use the Old Testament a lot in this book. And he's going to show us how Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, how he is superior to every element that they might be inclined to return to in Judaism. So as we read this book, we are, can be in awe and we can get to learn and see and be encouraged in all the ways that Christ is superior to the prophets, to the angels, to Moses, to Joshua, to Aaron, and on and on. And throughout this book, we are going to receive some strong warnings 
God knows his people are prone to wander, and he wants us to know how dangerous it is. And he wants to the second we begin to drift to draw us back. He doesn't want us to be neutral towards drifting. He wants to, when we wander, Jesus. Come back to Jesus. I think one of the key paradigms that you have to keep in mind as we, uh, for this book, because it's going to be hard at times, is chapter 12, verses 5 through 13. And And part of that section reads, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Then later it says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. So that is what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So as you come to this book, this is a book for you because God loves you. This is a book for you because you are a daughter. This is a book that is a book of discipline. Chapter 12, verse 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained for it. So as you come to this book, it's going to be hard in parts. And Terry Weiser used the word dense to describe it. It's dense. Um, God wants Christ to be our everything, our consuming fire. And he wants where we see in our lives that not being true for us to take it seriously. This is a book that has a lot of cold, hard truths about our sin and our sin tendencies. But it's a book of love. It's a book for children. So when, when it's hard, <laughs> do not grow weary of the discipline of God. The book wants us to see Christ for more of all that he is. Chapter after chapter is going to proclaim the glories of Christ and the glories of what Christ does for his people. In some weeks, it's my guess that we're all going to have to struggle with the text some. Hebrews 5.14 reads, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. I think that it can be helpful for us to view this year as a year of training. Hebrews is like P90X for your faith. Um, Because to see Christ in all of his glory, you have to do the work of looking up from yourself. You have to look up over and over and over. And you have to value 
the things that God does. And man, I don't so often. So when I come to a chapter of the book, sometimes I care more about something else than about this. This is a year of training of our faith to look to Christ, to value what he values. That I have to want to learn more about Moses and Joshua and Melchizedek because they help me to learn more about Jesus. So that when we get to the end of Hebrews and we say, my identity is in Christ, our hearts are overflowing with the depth of what that means. It's not some kitty cat Christ that just puts a Band-Aid on our situation. It is the Lion of Judah Christ that is the Jesus of Scripture, that is the Jesus of Hebrews. It's the Christ who has nothing left outside his control, who destroys the one who has the power over death who is an anchor for our souls. I encourage you to keep a list throughout the year as you study. And it's going to be long, so get ready for it to be long. Of all the things that you are going to learn about Jesus, so that when you come and you are weak and you are weary and you are tired, you can look at your list and you can remember, this is the Christ who fights for me. This is the Christ who calls me. This is the Christ that I am rooted in. This is the truth of my story. This is the Christ that can give my incredibly hard situation perspective. That can give grief hope. That can give doing laundry purpose that can give being all in with Christ value. Caroline, my two-year-old, sings all the time. And um, she's not very good, but she sure is cute. And um, (laughs) she makes up her own words all of the time. And um, she often mixes in real songs, but she always changes the word, changes the word. So she sings, Jesus Loves Me quite a bit. And in the car yesterday morning, she was singing her version of the song. And her version of the song where it says, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me is yes, the Jesus loves me. Yes, the Jesus loves me. And as I was hearing her sing, yes, the Jesus loves me. I, um, I was like, I like her version. I like her version. The Jesus, the Jesus loves me. The Jesus that we can learn more about this year. The Jesus that died on the cross for us and died on the cross to win us for eternity, but also for today. Um, I do wish sometimes, as I was like, you know, realizing that these Hebrews get their own little letter, I was wishing that there was this, you know, the letter of, to, the, to the Americans, You know, what would the letter to the Americans look like? And I can think um, of a lot of things (laughs) that we are prone to drift back to and to find our identity in and that we 
need to remember that Christ is better than um, Christ is better than beauty. Christ is better than success. Christ is better than money. Christ is better than a husband or children. Christ is better than a perfect husband or perfect children. Christ is better than fame. Christ is better than comfort. Christ is better than being highly esteemed. The list for me really could go on and on. And I think one of the ways that we need to process the book as a whole, that we need to apply the book as a whole, is to think about the things that you are prone to drifting towards and to speak the truth of Christ into those, to bring faith, to bring God's version of the story into that area of our life. Um, Hebrews is a book that shows us how incredibly magnificent and glorious and beautiful and secure Christ is. And then it calls us to be confident, to be confident in Christ. Hebrews 3, 6 reads, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. Hebrews 10, right after it talks about how they were confident in the past but are struggling now, says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. Hebrews 13, 6 reads, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I think it's interesting to note the action words that are used in that. Hold fast our confidence. Do not throw away your confidence. For we have need of endurance. So our P90X year of uh, faith training in Hebrews is about clinging to Christ and about actively not letting my circumstances or other people determine my story. That who I am comes from Christ. I need that message. I need that truth. I'm excited about this year. Honestly, I feel like I have been in a season of discouragement. I've been in a season of weariness. I have been in a season of just plain tired. I'm tired. What do you, where do you go when you're tired? Where do you go? When you got nothing, the only place for hope is Christ. Where we don't have to bring anything. He brings everything. He brings all of who he is to our weakness, to our sagging faith, to our drooping hands. He brings his strength where we are weak. And wants us to then draw confidence from that and draw hope from that. 
Okay, let's pray. Lord, strengthen our faith. Help us live in truth. Help us believe what you say is true. Some of us are so weary and so tired. And we need your son. We need your perspective. We need your hope. Would you come to us? Would you rush to us? Would you lift our heads? Take our eyes off ourselves and help us this year to look to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.